Hi there, and welcome to the podcast, Life as a, a show intently focused on exploring and unearthing the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. I would venture to say that there are a handful of idyllic romanticisms most people would tend to have. They include things like owning vineyards, sports franchises, retiring at 40, and so on. Oh, and how about this one, owning your own picture-perfect island in paradise. Now, how many people have you met who've actually achieved anything remotely close to such kinds of dreams? Not too many, right? Well, you're about to be treated to an episode in which our guest today has done something along those lines. In fact, what he and his team have done is a world's first. Think fantasy meeting a warm and ocean breezy reality. Marshall Mayer is the New York-based founder and co-chairman of IBG, or Island Buying Group Incorporated. He is a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis with a degree in history and Chinese. Mayer has more than 14 years of entrepreneurship, emerging markets, business, and finance experience, and has lived and worked in five countries on three continents and done business in over a dozen more. He was also founder and COO of a U.S. and Philippines-based nonprofit disaster response company specializing in typhoon-resistant construction on remote islands. Mayer is a lifelong traveler and lover of new languages, of which he has studied six. Now, all of that is impressive unto itself. However, this is where things get really interesting. Mayer is a co-founder of Let's Buy an Island, a world's first project of its kind, which used crowdfunding to purchase an actual island. In 2019, a group of investors led by Marshall collectively put their funds together to make the $180,000 plus tax purchase of Coffee Key, a 1.2-acre uninhabited island off the coast of Belize. Aside from the crowdfunded purchase being unique, this project also represents an unusual nation-building project too, with Coffee Key being reconstituted as the Principality of Islandia, complete with its own national flag, anthem, and government. In fact, through a small donation, you too can become an official citizen of Islandia. Now, while Coffee Key still remains under recognized laws, borders, and restrictions of Belize, unofficially to some, it has become the world's newest micronation. And to date, this venture and story has been covered and devoured by readers from major news outlets and publications, not limited to the likes of CNN, where I personally discovered this, New York Magazine, Lonely Planet, Mirror, and Telemundo, amongst others. So with all that in mind, Marshall, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about this. And I can firmly say that you're the first head of state to join the program. So uh, there's an honor right off the right out of the gate. <laughs> no, the, the, the honor is all mine. You know, it's 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 a privilege for me to meet little people like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Coming with the fire. I like it. Yep. <laughs> all righty. Well, why don't we get right into it? The first segment here is something called Coloring Wikipedia. And normally, I stress normally what I do here is read off a definition of the profession of what the guest does as defined by Wikipedia. But I do actually have another honor to bestow upon you, Marshall. You have, well, you're the first person to render one of my segments completely useless. Unfortunately, Wikipedia does not have an entry for owning an island and all that entails. And actually, on the internet as well. I mean, I, I did a quick search and yeah, unsurprisingly, there isn't a professional sort of background or, you know, template of all the duties and again, responsibilities of owning an island. So with that in mind, I'm just going to lay this entire segment on you. <laughs> um, but maybe you could like explain a little bit more about what all of this means. And maybe I could lead off with this first question here. What are some of your chief roles at the moment concerning this venture? Sure. So, uh, yeah, let's let's write the Wikipedia article right now. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, island owner, island management, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's there's probably no article for it because there's no network of people doing what we're doing exactly. at the level that we're doing at it. And I think and I think the key is at this level. I mean, 
I was watching a, uh, a talk this morning that I was, I was on a phone call with Richard Branson. I was, I was watching him speak um, <laughs> online this morning. And uh, he said one of the most amazing sentences that I could have ever imagined coming out of any person's mouth, which was basically, he said, I didn't know what a SPAC was until someone visited me on my island and suggested that I take Virgin Galactic public. And that was just a month or two before I went to space. Wow. Which, which was just a very Richard Branson kind of, you know, there's yeah, not many yeah. people in the world that get to say that. Right, kind of thing. right, right, right. Um, and, and very few of us, you and, my, and me included, are not among that group of people, that elite group of people who get to, you know, own these massive properties and, and have these huge mansions on these private islands with the staff and the, the private helipad and all that stuff. And so, you know, but there are a lot of islands out there and, and it is actually doable. So I think most people who are, who can afford this sort of thing, even if they, are doing it on a relative budget, you know, a million dollar property instead of a hundred million dollar property. You know, they are doing it for private gain and for, or private enjoyment. They're not necessarily doing it for sort of mass appeal and mass marketing. Um, there's, there aren't many islands out there like that. I mean, they do exist for sure. And I think a number of them, but, but there aren't a lot out like that. So, so it's not surprising to me that it's a kind of empty category in Wikipedia. You know, my roles in this venture is, you know, we we got this thing started about four years ago and we started collecting interest and talking to people about sort of how we would get it done and, and having them some money in to build this company. But in the end, it is a company and, and we own this property with the idea of being able to turn it into a rental property that people can access and get to, as well as allowing our investors to live out that sort of private island fantasy that, you know, we would love to be able to afford, but may not be able to over the course of our life. So for me, a typical day is, is dealing with, you know, investors and questions, media, recently media questions, trying to figure out what our next steps are on the island that we have in terms of building on it, what we're going to do with it, how we're going to design it. And then also uh, figuring out what our next steps are for our next project, because, you know, you always got to be looking forward to the next thing. So it's, it's really a, uh, a fun project to be involved in and, and it takes up, um, you know, a good chunk of my day, but it's worth every minute. Oh, I bet. I bet. I mean, uh, it touches on a lot of different things. Again, I kind of alluded to this, uh, off the top. I mean, people have these dreams, right? These sort of like fantasies in a sense, and more or less, as you just stated, like you're kind of in a way a trailblazing a way to make that a reality for some people, you know, in some form or some capacity. And uh, yeah, I'm sure that's, well, for one, it's been part of the reason it's generated so much buzz. You know, when I you know, found your story basically on CNN, I think it'd been up there for a couple of weeks. I mean, right on the, the front page, essentially. And I think that speaks to the level of interest for one, and uh, some of the, the chords that it's striking as well. So it must be an exciting time for you busy surely busy. I'm sure you're getting a lot of inquiries and getting flooded with questions, but uh, I'd imagine these are all great problems to be having at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly been busy, uh, especially the last few weeks. And, you know, there are weeks or decades, I should say, where, where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And for us, you know, this was a, a really busy time and, and it resulted in, you know, us fully funding this first project and getting a lot of interest towards the next one. And all of these things are, are really, really exciting. I think the CNN article was really exciting and not because it went viral, not because I got a push notification to my own phone from the CNN app with, with my face on it, which How I thought crazy was really is that? Cool. Yeah. And, and totally weird. And I was getting a text from people I haven't heard from in years, you know, <laughs> thing, is this you? But I, you know, but at the same time, I think it was really exciting for, for a much nerdier reason, which is the day before, or maybe two days before our article came out, they discovered Ernest Shackleton's ship at the bottom of the Weddell Sea in yeah. Antarctica. Yeah. And that was front page of CNN travel for a day or two before our article came in and bumped them off the front page, <laughs> which I was both very proud of and also a little ashamed because <laughs> I really respect the whole story behind Ernest Shackleton and the endurance and its survival and their survival and all the pictures and videos of exploring this. I just think it's so cool. Not only do I think it's cool, but just a few months ago, before that came out, two months before that came out, uh, my fiance and I went down to Antarctica and we were in the city. We were we were talking about the fact that nobody had discovered Ernest Shackleton's ship. And it, hadn't, 
but it wasn't too far from here. And then they discover it. <laughs> and then everybody drops that and comes and talks to us. <laughs> and those poor guys, they, they lost, they lost out. And, and I, I feel bad about it, to be honest. I'm, I'm not thrilled about that part. That is a story. That is a story. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I do have one other quick question uh, really quickly while we're in this segment here. You know, we, we spoke a little bit about like some of the fun things, some of the exciting things about, you know, the day to day, essentially. Is there anything on like the side where it has been or it has been a bit of a challenge, you know, stressful moments, perhaps? Sure. I mean, look, over the course of the last few years, there's been a number of challenges. You know, initially it was getting people on board with with the idea itself and not just the idea of the dream of let's buy an island, but also the fact that, you know, we were doing something that I've, I've seen a lot of other groups that are trying to either crowdfund or just raise money, period, yeah. you know, from five or six friends that have done something very different where they're looking, they look at a property and they say, I want this property. I'm going to buy this property and it costs this much money. And this is what we're going to do on it. And there's a problem with that fundamentally because a property is individual. It's unique. And there's no guarantee that you're going to get that property at that price. There's no guarantee it will still be there when you have the money. There's no, even if you get an option on it, there's still a, a way for the you know, owner to get out. There is a certain amount of uncertainty to, to telling people you're going to do something in a place and what you're going to do until you actually own that place. And so what we did early on is we said, we're not going to buy this island, this place. We're going to buy an island someplace. And, and we did some research. We knew that there are islands, you know, uh, you know, where, where you're from in Canada, you know, up the great white North that has, you know, islands in a river or, you know, in a lake that's frozen for three quarters of the year and you can get it for $20,000, $30,000. I mean, they, they exist, they're out there. And for us, it was about, it started with just that dream of we're going to buy an island, but we knew that if we could get, you know, 50 K or so, we could get something, maybe a rock in the middle of the ocean, but we could get something. And then it became, okay, well, let's look at what's actually feasible. What are the ranges we need? Do we need at least hundred K to do this, at least 150 to do this, et cetera. And then finding this property. So that was really tough too, because you're talking to potential investors who need to wrap their head around the fact that they don't know where it is yet. Right. And what and it then, represents essentially. Right. Yeah. Right. And then you buy the Island. Right. We, and we, and we voted on it. We made an offer based on investor support. And our offer was fortunately accepted, which I think was, was really great. We went to go close. Closing happened. Everyone was really excited. We got a bunch of new investors because people said, oh, this is awesome. Now I know where it is. I can wrap my head around this. And then the same thing happened to us. It happened to everyone. COVID came. So suddenly Belize shut its borders. So many other countries shut their borders. And, uh, and international travel became really, really, really difficult. So we found ourselves um, dealing with that same struggle. The only difference is that we didn't have, unlike a lot of you know, hotels and things like that, you know, we didn't have a lot of ongoing costs because we hadn't built on it yet. So we were actually a little lucky in that sense. But as far as being able to raise more money, I mean, nobody was interested, right? Everyone was sitting at home, you know, waiting. We sold a share here, a share there, whatever it was. But, uh, but it took us a while. It took us a while. So, so then fast forward and, you know, we're coming out of sort of the COVID world and, you know, now we're dealing with, uh, with other issues. We're dealing with issues of, um, you know, going in to get permits and get, you know, approvals for all these different things. Uh, and then we're also dealing with, and you touched a little bit on it in your introduction, we're also dealing with this marketing concept that we've thrown out of this micronation, right? And that's on one hand, a really fun, super fun, awesome project that we're working on on the side. I think that, you know, if you read the CNN article and you read any of the numerous articles that sort of regurgitated that, that article and, or, or contacted us directly and interviewed and, and published on their own, they all make sure to quote me or someone else who has said very clearly, we know where we are, we know we're in Belize, we respect Belize, we're part of the culture, we want to contribute to it. But that doesn't stop them from making the headline, you know, two friends buy an island to start their own country. And, you know, I get it, it gets clicks. It also annoys people in Belize a little bit. I bet, yeah. <laughs> and and so when I first sat down, you said to me, "This is the first time uh, you've you've been able to speak to a, a head of state." Yeah. Right. 
Well, I, I have to say, I was surprised when the Prime Minister of Belize was asked about our project in a, in a press conference. Really? And, he, and, and his response was something, because it was a leading question. That I, I totally get what, you know, why he responded the way he did. But they asked him this very leading question of like, what do you think about these two people trying to secede from Belize or something like that, which we're not doing for the record. And he said, well, they're stupid if they think they're going to do that. So I have to say that I have now been insulted by a head of state. I personally am not insulted, but I do actually take it as a point of pride that I got insulted by a head of state. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it's the best way of taking it. Yeah, yeah. most certainly. And, and like, there's nothing that they're going to do because we thought we've broken no laws. You know, there's, yeah. there's nothing, and we've been very careful about that. We look forward to years and years of being a contributing member to Belizean society and not the other way around. But I did find it to be an interesting time. And that, that was sort of a moment where I thought, oh, right, we really didn't consider what would happen if the entire world was talking about our project simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. And, and how Belize might react to them being in the news in this way, as opposed to for all the other things Belize has to offer, its natural beauty and the people that are so nice and, you know, fresh fish and, you know, and just, just gorgeous landscapes and the, the crystal clear waters and the yeah. diving. I mean, I could go on. The list yeah. is, is pretty long. Yeah. Um, the ruins, the animals, the rainforest. <laughs> so that's been challenging to a point. And then of course, you got your online trolls and other things. But I think that's all part of where we are now, which is that that building aspect. And that's the next challenge. When you did purchase the island, was it privately held at that time? Or was it like held by the government, basically? In it was it was privately held. Yeah, we, we purchased it from um, uh, a, an older couple who, uh, who had bought it as an investment about 15 years ago. It was a, a Lebanese guy and, and his Belizean wife. And they own a number of properties around Belize that they had sort of invested in. And so it was just one of them that they were trying to, to you know, unload. But it was, I mean, it's such a beautiful property. And Belize has 350, I think, privately owned islands off of its coast. And, and most of them are swamps or mangroves and, and a handful have been developed. And most, most of those are in private ownership situations. Very few of them, or a handful of them are, are parceled out. Uh, so, you know, because if they're large enough, you can sell it to multiple families. But as far as private islands goes, I mean, there's there's a bunch out there, but only a handful are developed and available for rental as well. I gotcha. Alrighty, cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Why don't we uh, skip on over into a, a new segment here? Something we can continue this just back and forth. Essentially, it's a, a Q and A discovery, and I just have some questions. I'll just uh, fire off at you. And the, the first one, maybe you've spoken to this point already to a certain degree, but I'd be curious to know a little bit more about the backstory of like why, like what was the motivation to do all of this in the first place. Haven't you always wanted to own an island? <laughs> of course, oh, right? So yeah. have I. And and I I I didn't outgrow it, and neither did my partners on this project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that that's pretty much it. We yeah. we've always wanted to own an island and and it sounded like fun. And it started originally, honestly, just to give you the, the long story short, it started originally with my partner Gareth, who met somebody years and years ago who had an island that he was trying to sell. And Gareth didn't do anything with it at the time, but he thought to reserve the URL letsbuyanisland.com. And for 10 years, he paid for letsbuyanisland.com without ever doing anything with it. And, and then we saw another island for sale actually in the Philippines. And we thought, and he called me up, we were chatting and he said, yeah, how much could it possibly cost if we can't get this one, which was like 350K or something like that, you know, maybe we'll get something else and we'll see what happens. Like, wouldn't that be great? And we went from there. So uh, we started reaching out to people and seeing if anyone would be interested and in, in throwing in a few thousand dollars each and and the rest, well, the rest is history. history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. It's so cool. I can see why, I mean, the story's caught on. There's so many different angles that are just so fascinating. I think it's just so much fun to to hear. I mean, really, we're just starting this this talk here and I'm already just thoroughly enjoying everything that I'm hearing. So yeah, thanks for sharing that as well. Maybe you could fill us in a little bit more on some of the I don't know, the basics surrounding the island itself. I mean, presently, does it have any infrastructure built on it or, or plans to do so? I mean, you mentioned that eventually, you know, having the investors come out there or even as a rental property, I'd imagine you're probably going to have some stuff there, but maybe you could update us where it's at presently. Sure. Well, as of two weeks ago, we have an outhouse. It was, uh, it was constructed in the back of the island uh, for, for people to use while we don't have infrastructure. It's it's been labeled the Islandian thinking box, and it is uh, it is available for public use. <laughs> However, uh, long term, that's obviously uh, that's not the the end goal. So the island, when people ask me how big it is, 
Yeah. I've got three answers for you, and all of them are correct. There is the amount of land that is currently above water and visible as an island. There is the titled amount of land because it has been drawn out on a map in the government offices. And then there is the island land plus a setback, which under Belizean law, you can build with permits and other things, you can build out an additional setback. And I think it's um, 66 feet in every direction or about 30 yards. And that is intended to be both for erosion control from your own property. Also, all the land that touches the water in Belize is technically open to the public because the government doesn't want there to be any issues of trespassing or other sorts of problems if a boat needs to dock in a storm or something like that, that you can land anywhere and be within the confines of the law. So, but that's only related to the first 66 feet from the water. So it allows you to dock if you need to or whatever. So you can build out that setback and that way you can then, again, in theory, not that we're going to do this, but in theory, you can then fence off your own property and say, no, 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 nobody comes in here because this is my property. You want to stay on the beach, that's fine, right? So that's sort of the third option, which is of adding the area to the island whereby we cannot build on anything, but we can use that land for non-permanent structures and obviously to enjoy and if you own everything between it and there's water on the other side, it's effectively yours too. So, and we would obviously pay for that, you know, to go out. So the three answers for you are there's about an acre, 1.2 acres above water right now. The titled amount of land that we have is 1.51 acres. And then the total estimated amount that we could build out to would be about three acres hmm. or 1.2 hectares. So that's sort of the long-term goal. If we can do that in a, in a sustainable way, we, we would love to sort of build out the island a little further, make it a little bit more, uh, you know, sort of welcoming and, and uh, you know, a little larger and more comfortable for our guests. So like permanent structure? Yeah. And then, and then as far as, per, right, and then as permanent infrastructure goes, that's the next step. So I know, you, you know, we're recording this, of course. And so if you see behind me in my background, you see those those stakes kind of over the shoulder, over the shoulder, those wrap around the north part of the island. And that kind of roughly represents our property line that's eroded a little bit. And that's just because this side of the island doesn't have any mangroves, so it doesn't protect against erosion. So we're going to be putting up a seawall kind of right along that line, more or less. And then that whole area between those stakes and where the land starts is going to be sand. And that's all going to be filled in. That'll be our beach. Okay. Um, so we're going in for permits shortly, and we expect to have the beach built out in the next several months. While that's happening, we're going in for permits as, again for actual construction, and we're working with local engineers in Belize and uh, and consulting with and potentially working with other builders um, outside of Belize, but but also builders in Belize to help put together the actual construction, which is intended to be a probably four to six bedroom bed and breakfast type thing. Um, and that'll be on the mainland. And then uh, over time, we may add, you know, sort of a bungalow over the water and all that stuff, but, but that'll be added over time. And then uh, obviously a dock. So between sort of all of that, that's going to be, that's going to be the basic infrastructure. And the whole thing is going to be built um, off grid for us. Sustainability is a big part of this you know, solar power as much as we possibly can. We have a really consistent wind coming out of the east, so I'd love to have a good wind power kind of solution, especially for the evenings. And uh, we would love to have, you know, everything from, you know, electric stoves to an electric uh, engine for our boat, you know, eventually. So we're going to work, we're going to work towards that. And, uh, and we are fully funded for it, which is, which is great. So, so what we have now should be enough. We, we're going to be launching a Kickstarter soon, actually, to, to try to supplement some of our our funds. And, and it's really just a matter of the more we raise, the more we can do, but we have enough to build um, as it stands right now. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the next step is for what we do next. So it's, it's, there's a, there's a lot going on. Yeah. It's exciting. It, it all sounds exciting. And a couple of things that stood out to you, like what you were just sharing there, what kind of encourages me in hearing this? I mean, for one, like, you know, this dream again of owning an island and uh, it's just fun. There's a lot of fun and it fulfills, you know, a lot of different sort of dreams for people that I did like sort of one of just having your own place. Right. But also too, on the other hand, turning this point of like, what excites me about this is that your plans of what you just explained there, you know, building in sustainability, 
to it all. It's not just a, a selfish endeavor where like, oh, you know, I want this island for, for me, 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 for my personal satisfaction, for my enjoyment, to a degree, probably, you know, some of those things might be in there for you know, yourself or even investors. But also this element of, you know, how can we do this the right way, the responsible way of solar power, wind power, not putting too much stress on the environment itself by doing this. And I think it's stories like these that really encourage me about things moving forward. I mean, there's enough doom and gloom on that issue on climate crisis and everything else. But these types of stories sort of illustrate that there are ways that we can sort of still move forward in a number of different capacities but do it in a responsible manner. So yeah, I'm really thankful that you did share that point in particular uh, on this program. I don't know, I've had a few climate tech professionals on in the last little while. I'm in talks with a few more, so maybe it's top of mind awareness right now is where I'm thinking. But uh, yeah, you just triggered a few different thoughts and ideas when, uh, when you shared that. So yeah, thanks again. Okay, I would like to move on to another question here. And this one is a fun one, I think, at least I think. On your website, letsbuyanisland.com, I mean, there is plenty of tongue in cheek uh, there. And I just want to read this off for some of the listeners right now. There's a section there that says, key facts about the principality of Islandia. Provisional head of state of Islandia, His Royal Highness HRH, Prince Regent, Marshal, Mayor. Proclamation of the principality of Islandia, February 11th, 2018, the National Day. Head of Government of the Principality of Islandia, the Right Honorable Prime Minister Jody Hill. So a lot of fun there and just super fun to go through the site itself. But on the other hand as well, though, there is information relating to you know, the fact that you have over, well, when I was checking, researching over 100 investors, possibly more by now, and funds committed over $400,000. And again, may have uh, increased since uh, you're researching this. So to me, like facts like this firmly indicate that this venture is anything, you know, but just a joke, you know, or a stunt. I'd love to hear more about some of the long-term goals of, you know, what this means to you formally or informally. And to what degree is this fun sort of tongue-in-cheek element there and the more serious side of it? Maybe you'd comment on, on that a little bit if you, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, your your facts are, are spot on. We've raised about four hundred fifty thousand so far. We have another fifty or so on its way in, um, and uh, we'll see what you know the Kickstarter kicks up. Look, in the end, it's a business, and that's really what my main focus is. I intend to do everything I can to make some profit, be able to return some value for our shareholders, and and you know, simultaneously providing for. Uh, sort of the lifestyle aspect of it that a lot of people have invested for. As far as the micronation aspect goes, you know, it's something that, you know, those of us who put this together are dedicated travelers and world travelers, and we love micronations. It's it's a quirky, weird sort of part of, of some countries, actually most, many countries, more than you would think, micronations are kind of all over the place. And they exist in this tongue-in-cheek kind of limbo state, with, with one exception being Sealand, which we could totally do a whole separate story on where they, they basically have accidentally stumbled on recognition from two countries, from two actual countries. And, and the whole Sealand thing is, is great. And I actually am proud to say that uh, the Islandian flag is flying on Sealand. We are in very good relations with that particular nation and they have recognized us. So that's important. Okay. Um, <laughs> no one else. However, so, you know, micronations are a, a fun tongue-in-cheek thing. And uh, there's, you know, sort of in the class of nations worldwide, you've got your sort of UN or, or well, I was going to say UN recognized nations, but there's a handful out there that I think we all consider nations that are not necessarily UN recognized like Taiwan or, but there's countries that sort of function as a legitimate nation state. They have a, a permanent population. It's, you know, tens of thousands of people, at least it's, it's a, a, a decent sized chunk of land. I mean, even Vatican city is like 40, 50 acres or something like that. You know, it's, it's, there's a, a generally accepted definition for nation that's out there. And then you have sort of your sub areas where there's sort of, you know, operating autonomously on their own within a, a you know, a larger nation. And so there's the, you know, Transnistria in Moldova, there's, uh, you know, for better, or for worse, the Donbass, you know, region in, in Ukraine. There's an interesting region called the Jewish Autonomous Zone or Jewish Autonomous Region in uh, Far East Russia, which was part of, yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting. And I, I don't know how much, how autonomous they still are, but they were set up as sort of a, 
not so final solution from Stalin's perspective of shipping all the Jews out to the East to get rid of them as a problem and then living them their own. There's still like 2000 Jews or something living out there. Really? It's really I've never heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting uh, history. Mm. Um, half of Uzbekistan is, is autonomous and kind of self-governing. So there's got these sorts of regions. Then you have areas that like try to break away every couple of years. And, you know, it's, so you get your Catalonia and Spain, you yeah. get Quebec and, you know, Canada and, and, you know, any you know, yeah. number of other places. And then sort of as you work your way down that list, you end up at Micronations, which is like half the time it's a guy's backyard who just decides he doesn't want it to be part of the U.S. anymore. And, you know, there's there's a guy in Nevada who has a Micronation uh, where it's like him and his neighbors and they banded together and called it a Micronation. He takes pictures of himself in this like dictator's uniform, like military garb. Somehow this uh, doesn't surprise me all that much, but yeah. Of course not. He's, he, he's in the desert and he has a monument to his naval heroes, you know, of, of their country. Um, I, I, I've got a mental image of what this person looks like. Yeah, you know exactly what he yeah. looks like because what you're picturing is him. And and uh, I, I want to say it's called like Moravia or something like that. And he even has a currency which is pegged to the U.S. dollar, kind of, because what it really is is the value of one Moravian dollar, whatever it's called, is equivalent to the USD value of one third of a tube of Pillsbury dough. <laughs> right. So this is this is the the side we're on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're enjoying that side of things. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you're more legitimate micronations. We would love to be like Chris Janier, Ujipis, you know, the, the, which, which is a neighborhood in uh, Copenhagen and Vilnius, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're basically artist neighborhoods that, you know, and they're right in the middle of the capitals. And people yeah. come as a destination and they go and check it out. We would love to be a destination that people want to come check out. Yeah. We would love to be a destination that people can sort of say to themselves like, oh, checked off another country. Ha ha. You know, and and really just make make it a fun place to be. Yeah, uh, we are not going to be declaring independence from Belize or raising an army or anything like that. Well, I think uh, I think you're on their radar already. Yeah. They're probably oh yeah, we're totally on their radar, and, and and we'll have you know we we'll have our own rules, we'll have our own little constitution, but our constitution is things like everybody's got a right to celebrate their birthday, you know, or not. That's also your right, <laughs> you know, and and things like that, and which I. I Full disclosure, I stole that from the Ujipis Constitution. I think it's a fantastic one. <laughs> you know, and they also said everybody has a right to be happy and everybody has a right to be unhappy. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's a side of things is, is for fun. But yeah, we do take the business very seriously. And we, we plan on being yeah. open to the public um, by the end of the year. We plan on uh, renting out to people for, for vacation. We can rent out the whole island for, you know, events, you know, weddings, bachelor parties, whatever you want. We'll have a, a small restaurant, a small bar. And we'd like to be a stopping off point for people going diving and, you know, maybe a place that people can dive from. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that we want to do with it. And, and there's a lot of potential there as, as, a, mm. as a just unbelievably beautiful destination that's really, really accessible. It's, it's less than an hour from the airport in Belize City. I've left from New York where I live at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, but I've still, you know, get on an early plane. I'm on the island by lunchtime. Wow. wow. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got another question here, and this is something that I ask oftentimes to a number of guests, and it relates to like these pinch me moments where it's like, right. you know, is there anything that stands out that you cannot believe that you're part of this? But the way you're describing it to me, and I don't mean to downplay the, you know, the stressful elements, because I'm sure there are some, and you even touched upon some of them earlier, but I mean, this whole project to me strikes me as a pinch me moment. Am I onto something here? Is that a correct assessment or... Oh yeah, every that? day for the last month or so since this sort of, we were kind of in this limbo stage until just a month ago of, of we had the island, it was paid off, we had paid all our taxes, we were good. And and we were raising money to build, but we had 20, 30K in the bank, you know, it wasn't enough to build, it wasn't, enough, you know, it was enough, but it was, it was something, you know, we were building slowly towards the goal. And now we're kind of in this moment where we have the buying power, we have the cash, we've got the support, we've got the, the media. Only thing we have to do is just not drop the ball. But, uh, and it's that's a lot of pressure. That's but, where the stress comes in. Yeah. Yeah. But there is there is a pinch me moment for sure that, you know, and 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 that happens when you are standing on the island too, is that kind of moment where you realize, like, oh right, this is this is ours. We bought this. Like we're gonna do stuff with this. This is gonna be really, really cool. And for the foreseeable future, myself or any of, of my fellow investors will be able to. A, tell their friends, you know, I own an island, but B, decide one weekend, like, hey, let's let's go down to the island this weekend, you know, like, let's write them an email, see if there's an open space, we'd love to go down. And even if there isn't, you know, even if all the rooms are taken and, you know, and whatever, 
you know, it's, it's open for people to come visit. So, you know, investors being able to come down and get that VIP treatment, you know, and uh, sit at the you know restaurant and and enjoy the the fruits of literally the fruits of their investment. Just the story of it all too, I think, is part of the thrilling element. You know, dropping that into a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Let's just head off to the island this weekend. Yeah, where's that? Where's that? Island? Oh, that's just off the coast of Belize. You know, Islandia. You haven't heard of it? Yeah. Did, I mean, did, you, just... did you have a good weekend? Yeah, you know, I I did. It was a bit rainy on the island. <laughs> yeah. on my island yeah. on my island i gotta do something about that yeah i really gotta do something yeah. about that. actually you know you know what the real problem is is when i talk to friends now and I, i'm complaining about something they go you can't complain you own an island <laughs> oh, right. okay i'm sorry <laughs> all righty yeah. yeah it sounds yeah as i said i've used the word exciting a number of times and uh yeah it just keeps popping up in my head when uh you know we're, we're chatting about this but maybe on a more serious note and i'd be remiss to uh, not bring up this side First, I will acknowledge that, you know, you yourself do have this international background, uh, specializing in typhoon resistant construction on remote islands. Clearly, you know, you're well read and knowledgeable on disaster preparedness, and then ostensibly, you know, climate related issues. Mm -hmm. So what's your take on all of this? I mean, rising sea levels, I'm sure you get asked these types of questions all the time. I'm sure you also had it built into your SWOT analysis when you're analyzing this investment. So Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you could speak to that point. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I'll give you my my answer. I tell everybody where, you know, as a citizen of the world, I'm, of course, concerned about climate change and it bothers me. And I was down in Antarctica just a couple of months ago and seeing firsthand the effects of climate change. And, and uh, you know, if there is if there's one thing that I could change about the world, I mean, it, that's high up on the list. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 mind boggling the way it's affecting people and will affect people for years to come. However, as a business owner, um, I'm less concerned. And, and the reason for that is not, not to say that I'm going to ignore, obviously, the climate thing. We've talked about the fact right. that we want to be sustainable and green and yep. then and, and by, you know, in no way sort of negatively impact the climate. We, in fact, the opposite, we can talk a little bit about what we want to do uh, to positively impact the climate while we're there. But I'm less concerned about the overarching climate change issue because even in the worst case projections, in, in the world. We're looking at a foot or so of sea level rise in the next 80 or so years. And that can be disastrous across ecosystems, not on our tiny little island. I mean, we're pretty low to the water, but 30, 40 grand, and you can raise the whole island up by a foot. Because you basically, what you basically do is you bring in a couple barges worth of, you know, dirt and just pile it and pack it down and, and you know, and that's it. Now, I don't want to spend that money, obviously, but from a business perspective, there are, yeah, there are options. Mm. So, so in terms of living with it, there are options. Um, and there is a, you know, there's a part of me that has been thinking at this whole time about how to build in a hurricane resistant way, uh, in a surge resistant way, flood resistant way. Um, you know, and the floods are easy. You build on stilts. So at least you cover yourself from some floods. Yeah. Um, storms are, are, uh, are doable as well. And they're actually made easier to withstand storms if you're also on stilts because it allows air to go under the house as well as over. And then just, you know, then it's just a matter of sort of the curvature of your roof and the way things are, you know, shaped and how it allows air through, you know, through your home in a storm and other things. So that's all part of the plan. But uh, Belize happens to sit outside of most major hurricanes path. Um, they get hit by a handful of storms each year, but it's kind of the, it's the edge of the hurricane. If anything, it's kind of like the storm system that kind of follows or, or trails on the side. It's not in the direct path of most hurricanes. They've, as a country, they've only been hit directly by two major hurricanes in the last hundred years. So that's nice. We also sit behind the Belize barrier reef. So we don't get major uh, waves or swells. It's pretty much, it's like being on the Long Island Sound or, you know, or a lake or whatever it is. I mean, it's very calm where we are. And, and so as far as water levels go, tides don't rise or fall that much during the day, and we don't get big waves. If there were a tsunami that were headed towards Belize, I mean, I'm not, I'm no tsunami expert, but my understanding is that a lot of the, a lot of the tsunami, if not all the tsunami would be dissipated by the reef. I mean, that's sort of its whole job is a breaker. So I'm, I'm less concerned on my side. And we also happen to sit 10 minutes from Belize city. So if there is a tsunami warning, we're evacuating everybody and going right to shore. You know, so so I, I'm I'm not super concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, in in getting to know you a little bit more again, researching for this, 
I was expecting you to have obviously like prepared answers for something like this and for your investors. So it doesn't surprise me at all to, to hear this, but it is interesting nonetheless to, to hear the actual explanations for it because they all are based on sound logic and reasoning and smart planning and strategic planning essentially. So, and it's, and it's hard because, you know, I, I get emails sometimes where someone will, you know, just trolling me will send me an email and say, and say, why would I invest in an island? It's just going to be gone in five years. And it's like, Okay, I've actually read the studies because again, when for the same reason that we have a nice nuanced business plan that we're talking about what we're going to do, and then the media publishes two friends buy an island to start their own country, you also have studies that say, you know, where the title is effects of climate change over the course of a long period of time, you know, it's like this really long dry title, and buried in there is one conclusion that says if nothing is done, we'll see a foot of sea level rise over the next hundred years. And then the headline is 30% of the world's landmass or world's beaches are going to be devoured this century. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like you just, you went from like this really dry kind of like title that wouldn't attract anybody to, to one line that is a little bit scary to like, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm denying, I mean, I'm not, I'm not denying climate change or anything like that. I'm not, you know, I, I, no, I don't get the impression at all on board. Yeah, I know. But some people are like, oh, so you're not worried. You must not care. I, I totally care. And I just, but I, you know, at the same time we're running a business and I'm, I'm in my thirties. If we have a, a foot of sea level rise in 80 years, I'm going to be 110 years old. I'm really hoping I'm not running this thing by then. <laughs> so, so I'm going to make sure that when we pass it off, we haven't done anything to hurt the environment. Yeah. This is not like a pass the problem on to our children kind of thing. But I, I'm certainly going to want to pass this business off to the children at some point then, you know, long before this is an issue for us. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. yeah I think it was really worthwhile to hear that side of things as well, because I'm sure a lot of people, again, you know, have those questions. And I think the way that you just answered it answers a lot of those questions for people. So, yeah. I do want to shift into a new segment here, something mm-hmm. called a water cooler story. And essentially, you know, it is as it sounds. I just ask guests to indulge listeners with a story related to what they're doing. So, yeah, I'm eager to hear uh, what you've got for us, Marshall. Sure. So I'll tell you, you know, I, uh, I live on an island with three and a half million other people. And <laughs> we call it Manhattan. Uh, and I, we often don't appreciate that, you know, we, that we have that you know, that we're surrounded by water on all sides, that we have this sort of beautiful rivers and, and sites. And, and every once in a while, I'm sitting on uh, in my office or, uh, or, you know, on the water and just sort of looking out over, you know, just beautiful views, just really, really incredible views. If you take out all the buildings and stuff and you see, what, see what's out there. But then I saw this, this uh, map recently that was of Manhattan before we had sort of, conquered it <laughs> um you know and it was you know there were rivers running through the island there were hills there were there was so much so much more going on in manhattan than than ever before and yet today there's there's no there's there's not even a wolf you know they're native to manhattan but there's there's not a single one i think once like 20 years ago or something a wolf in the middle of the night on a, on a slow traffic night, wandered across a bridge and ended up in Manhattan. It was front page news, obviously, you know, a wolf in the city, but, but we've really just, we've conquered nature and that's not necessarily a good thing. And so that's sort of what drove me to want to be kind of a part of this project is in addition to the childhood dream is because, you know, there, I don't think there's, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing either to have conquered nature in its own way. You know, the, the, the world is, is in its natural form is not designed to be hospitable to us. And we're the only species on earth that bends the world to its will, which I think is, is in some ways very cool and exciting, but in other ways, obviously detrimental. And I don't believe, you know, we were talking about climate change, you know, I don't believe in the idea of save the planet because I don't think it's really about save the planet. The planet's going to be just fine. It'll survive us. It'll, it'll, we'll kill ourselves off and the planet will just rejuvenate and rebuild and be good, <laughs> right? Save humans, totally, right? Save us and the animals we're killing off in the process. But the idea of save the planet is kind of silly too, because the planet is, is not really hurting by this, you know, by any of this, it's it's affecting us first. So anyways, that, that's kind of, kind of why I wanted to, to get involved in this project and to see if there's a better way to do this stuff. And so, you know, just, it's, uh, you know, it's something that I, I've wanted to be involved in in its own way. And I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it for years. And so you mentioned that I was in the Philippines for a while. I was, I was working um, in disaster response. And 
And I left that because I found myself becoming a professional beggar. I was raising money pretty much nonstop. And it was not, it was not money that people were ever going to see a return on, you know, it's a donation. It's a charity. And that's great. I mean, if you can, if you can raise them, I look, I just started a charity for Ukraine and, and I, I love doing it and I'm happy to sort of provide funds and be there to support, you know, great projects, but I would rather be a person with a good, you know, chunk of change in my bank account to support great projects than to be sitting on the side, you know, in the trenches sort of doing everything and begging for $10 from friends and a hundred dollars from these people and this thousand dollar grant and whatever, which is, which is exhausting, really exhausting. And there have to be sort of better for-profit ways because that's how you get people motivated for-profit ways to, to solve a lot of these issues. And, and that's what I've always sort of wanted to be involved in. And it's taken a long time to get to that point where, you know, I get to be involved in this project and a few others as well that are looking at sustainability as sort of a key focus, but also looking at it from a for-profit point of view, because if you can make sustainability profitable, then you make sustainability sexy to everybody. And that, that I think was, was, um, you know, has, is what created that, that, that drive in me. And it's just, I think it's good luck and, and manifestation to some extent, you know, that I've been able to sort of find this niche and, and, uh, and push forward with it. So, and I used to joke, it's harder to get your friends to give you $10 they're never going to see again than it is to get a stranger to give you $5,000 that they want to return on. Right. And, and that's true because I've begged, I've begged some of the same friends for $10, 10 years ago that gave me the $10 after fighting who are now knocking down my door saying, I want to invest five grand with you. <laughs> and, Crazy. And, and that's, and I'm literally like, this is the, the, the difference here. Yep. I, mean, I mean, it's, it's palpable and we can in theory provide the same kind of services in this business than we could as a nonprofit in the Philippines. Because, and I'd love to do another Island in the Philippines as well, you know, because the impact that we provided then was housing people, job training, carpentry. It was focused on the teach a man to fish and not just the give a man to fish model. And, and we were doing marine restoration. We were doing rebuilding schools. We were doing a lot of fun things, educational programs. And we can do all that here too. We can bring groups down who will pay to be on this beautiful island who will help us with marine restoration projects. We can bring down groups who want to learn about marine restoration and want to learn about marine life and, and have them come down and put a portion of those funds towards these cool projects. We can do educational programs with Belizean kids and sort of work with them about, you know, learning right. about how to protect their own environment. And we can do re, uh, coral rehabilitation, which creates homes for fish and for new fish life. And, and basically, you know, one of these domes, which is, you know, 25, 30 bucks to, to make, you know, $50 to deploy can produce up to hundred pounds of fish a year. You know, you're talking about domes that are, you know, out of concrete and limestone that are, you know, three feet wide, four feet wide, and, you know, drop them in the ocean, just let them sit there. And they become a place that you can go dive, you can go check out, you can make money on because you can sell it as a diving destination. Fascinating. But, you can, but you can also then produce hundred pounds of fish per year per dome. And that, you know, at the market rate is basically pays itself off in one year. It's a passion of mine that I've, I've has laid dormant for a long time to be able to find a for-profit way to bring what a nonprofit might bring to, you know, to a have community. the same level of impact or even greater, perhaps even. And I, I think, I think greater because that means we're also, we're hiring local staff we're we're putting money back into the community and we're doing it in a way that doesn't take away from other businesses that are out there, you know, a lot of, or, or take away labor from other businesses, or whatever we're creating jobs and creating, you know, opportunity and, and anybody can benefit, you know, any, any Belizean would be able, if we were able to, you know, get involved in marine restoration, for example, I would love to do any Belizean would be able to come onto the water and fish and they might catch a fish that we helped make. I don't know what, I don't know how to say that helped grow, <laughs> helped <laughs> that we, that we helped their parents meet, <laughs> um, you know? So, so, you know, we, we, we can be a part of that and, and be a positive contributing member to society, which I think yeah. is, is just incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. and anyway, yeah, that, that, that for me, that's the, the big drive. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's something that that's really been a big part of, of it for me. Yeah. Well said. I, I'd like to continue that thought actually right into the next segment here. You know, it's a crystal ball segment name implies, you know, looking at the future trends, predictions, so on and so forth. 
And again, this whole project and, and researching it and listening to you speak about it today. I mean, there's so many different elements that like hit me, different angles and you know, notions of creativity, fun, innovation, but also too, there's other side of these shrewd sort of strategic planning, you know, things that you were just speaking to just a second ago. And this might be a, a nice last question to, uh, to end with is that ultimately, like, what do you see this project representing? If you could kind of encapsulate all of this, it might be a challenging question to answer, but, or maybe it's really simple. I, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear what you've got to say on that point. You see it representing. Yeah. Like all of this. I mean, you, we've spoken on notions of sustainability. We've spoken on nat- uh, notions of fulfilling dreams. Mm-hmm giving back essentially to communities. I mean, there's so many different elements to it. And uh, what in your mind could this whole, if you bring it all together, what does it represent? Right. You know, I I think it represents an opportunity to, to prove a number of concepts. You know, one is the crowdfunding model and, and can you build this, you know, you know, this kind of, you know, boutique resort, make it successful. You know, and that that's all well and good. But if that's successful, you know, it's it also means that we've have a successful sustainability model. We have a successful it validates model for, it, yeah, yeah, and we have a successful model for being a contributing member to a community instead of, you know, and and, and introducing people to the community. We want people to come visit us and then go visit Belize, you know, yeah. or the rest of Belize. You know, we want we want people to be a part of the community. We want Belizeans coming out to our restaurant and our bar and you know in their boats and just come and hang out and and chill with us, you know. We, we want that to happen because we want to be, be a part of the community and we don't want to be like the, the all-inclusives, you know, in, in Tulum or wherever it is, you know, that, that sort of keep people out. And it's like, you know, you're a guest or you're not, you come in here or not, you know, and you know, come to our private beach. It's like, I want it to be a place where people are, are feel welcome. And, and if you can do that, then, then you've got a sustainability model, you've got a you know, good for-profit model, boutique hotel model you've got, and you've got a contributing member of the community model. And, and I think all of this would be, would be really great. And we would love to be able to replicate it, not just with islands, but with other properties and, you know, vineyards, breweries, uh, you know, I don't know, ski resorts, you know, rapid towns that need, you know, revamping, you name it. Like, I'd love to be able to sort of bring that model to other really cool places around the world. Mm, mm, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Marshall. Of course. One final question here. I mean, I'm sure this is going to generate, you know, a lot of interest, additional interest, or hopefully it will at least for you. But I mean, are there still investment options available to those who maybe are hearing this for the first time and would like to learn more? Yeah. So, so we're actually looking to launch a new fund very soon. So I would encourage anybody to go on our website, letsbuyanisland.com and uh, they can reach out to us. There's a contact page. There's a join us page. And you can just reach out there and, and say, hey, I'd be interested in this or any other you know, investment opportunity. You can also email me directly, marshall at, at letsbuyanisland.com and follow us on Instagram at letsbuyanisland, you know, or Twitter at letsbuyanisland or Facebook at letsbuyanisland. It's uh, a, uh, you know, we, we've got a full monopoly on the, uh, on the name there. So that's, that's you, know, you know, keep an eye out on those things and, and we'll be posting as soon as we're able to about, you know, what's going on and what the next project is. And we would love for people to get involved because we really do want to be, you know, there for the community, not, not just community in Belize, but the community of our supporters and our you know, sort of citizens and lords and whatever, you know, and, uh, and, and for the worldwide travel community as well. All right. Well, thanks for sharing everything that you did. I mean, it's been a lot of fun. I've really, really enjoyed the, the whole conversation. And I'm certainly not just saying that it has been fun right out of the gate, right until the end. So yeah, thanks for sharing again all those insights. Um, and I encourage everyone to to certainly go check out what this is all about. Dig into it. I, I think uh, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, thank you, Chris. All right. Well, for those interested in learning more about Let's Buy an Island, please go on over to the website, as Marshall just said. Check them out on all the social platforms, of which all will be included in the show notes, so you can have a look there. Also, too, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And head on over to Life as a, the YouTube channel. We will have a full video episode over there. And also, too, we'll probably have some pictures of the island itself, a visual overlay uh, during the intro. So you'll be able to have a good look at, uh, you know, what it's all about. And then finally, please don't forget to uh, join us on the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.